There we go. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, if you can hear me. I can. I've never done this before, so you get to be my guinea pig. <laughs> okay, great. So if we screw this up, it's all my fault. Yes, I like that. <laughs> blame, blame Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'll blame Canada for something. Yeah. I mean, we blame the United States for everything else, so <laughs> All right, I'm going to do a real quick intro, and then we'll just kind of get into it. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Just going to put my phone on silent. Everybody knows not to call me. Yep. Oh, I was doing the same thing, actually. Welcome to Single White Female, a podcast about relationships, self-improvement, spirituality, and issues of the day. I am your host, Jennifer Williams, and today we are speaking with Henrik Langer, a German citizen who moved to Canada in 2008. Henrik is a hydraulic design technologist. Essentially, he makes sure that the melting snow flows nicely without causing floods. Henrik also has a small photography business on the side. What he says about that work is <clears throat> there's nothing better than to know that I captured a memory for someone and that my work might end up on somebody's wall. He has also volunteered a lot of photography work for charities and nonprofit organizations, which put his work into a few magazines. Hen Henrik really enjoys yard work these days. Mowing grass is like meditation for him. Handgun shooting is also a hobby, but their indoor range was closed down due to environmental problems, so that's in hibernation at the moment. Henrik is involved in firearm safety. After moving to Canada, he was interested in hunting, so took a so-called hunter safety course. He also took the required firearm safety course for rifles and handguns and found something that he liked, IPSC shooting. He was curious how difficult it could be to become a firearm safety instructor, so inquired with the Canadian Firearms Program, and all of a sudden, Henrik was enrolled in an instructor course. He's taught those courses since 2017, and they are mandatory in Canada to buy, own, or use a firearm. He says it's a lot of fun, and he meets a lot of interesting people, and every course is different. Lastly, Henrik is on this planet to make people happy. He says, if you are nice to the world, the world is nice to you. Nobody gets out of this world alive anyways. <laughs> Thank you for providing that information for me. Um, I just wanted to start out by saying thank you for doing this. You're welcome. Um, and we're, we haven't talked or seen each other, I want to say, since like maybe... To early 2000s? It was 2001. Alicia's and Steve's wedding. Yeah, that's so crazy. That was 21 years ago. Yeah. Oh the last God. Facebook message I got from you was from two, 2008. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's so crazy. But I, so, follow you on, I follow you closely on Facebook, and it's really interesting what you're doing there. It's because Pardon me, but you seem like one of the more normal Americans to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am curious 
kind of from your standpoint, you know, what you think, but we'll definitely get into that. Um, do yeah. you want to maybe just tell everyone kind of how we know each other and kind of, or how we came to be in the same world? Uh, it's been a long time, probably longer than some of your listeners are actually alive. It was in 1996. I don't know if you remember that. Our, yeah. my army buddy, Max Vogt, took me to Blair, Nebraska. And this is where I met all of Max was an exchange student with the Blair High School, and I was his army buddy, and we just I just tagged along for one summer, and he addicted me to Nebraska for some reason. I don't know why, but anyways, <laughs> this is how I met you, Jennifer, and all the other guys. So, mm -hmm. yeah, then um, I was even at the wedding. I was a, a groomsman in, in Steve's, Steve Loft, Steve and Alicia Loft's wedding. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and actually, that was, that was the last that. time. I th th that was in 2002, because I remember I was so many times random checked in 2002 after 9-11. Mm -hmm. I almost got in trouble because I told this one guy, this is not mathematically random anymore, and he got angry at me. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and ever since then, like, we had just, I think, on MySpace, we were friends. And when that was cool, I don't remember. I don't think Facebook. I even had a MySpace account, did I? <laughs> I don't know, but MySpace was the first social media where I met all of these, all the old American friends again when I was while I was still in Germany. So yeah, yeah, and and now I see that you were actually very passionate about this. The last incident that happened there, the last big gong show, I want to call it, and um, <laughs> yeah, this is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's great. It, it's great. Actually, it's, I just heard in the news there's something happening. I, I didn't really hear what's going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. For sure. Yes. Um, I did like screenshot a couple things from that um, that broke t news that broke today. So today we're we're talking about um, just gun the gun issue, essentially. And you have a unique perspective because you are from Canada and you are a fa firearm safety instructor. So you have a lot of thoughts about how Canada handles the gun issue and then kind of your perspective watching America and all the mass shootings that we are going through daily. Um, so I know I kind of rattled off a bunch of stuff in your bio, but can you just real briefly in your own words, um, tell me what your background is that informs your viewpoint on guns? Well, I like I said, I got into this hobby pretty much by accident. I took the hunter safety course that you have to take in Canada if you want to buy, if you want to go hunt, legally hunting, you have to buy so-called gear tags. And for that, you have to take a day course. The same instructor was a firearms instructor. I took this, these courses. And over time, I got more into this, into firearms in general. And then I became an instructor. And ever since then, I'm really informed about all the gun issues because I have to be on top of this because people need me as a source of information sometimes. I sometimes... I got text messages at Christmas time where somebody had issues at the Christmas table, dinner table about some gun questions and I had to answer them. So I am following everything pretty close. Plus, I'm also through work, I'm involved with a little bit with safety. I want to make sure that whatever we do in our life makes us all come home in one piece. It doesn't matter if you work, if you shoot, if you cut your grass, whatever. It's not rocket science to be safe. And um, I'm very, I'm very picky, and people make fun of me sometimes about that. Well, I mean, 
you, you would think we're in a third world country, like we're in a war zone every like daily because it happens so often. Well, this is the thing. Mass shootings don't happen here. We had two significant mass shootings, when you want to call it that, in the last 32 years. The first one that was actually, that still is still being used by some people as a political issue was in 1989 at Ecole Polytechnique in, in Quebec, where one guy, uh, where one person shot a few, like, like I think 10 or 15 women because he hated women and it was like an engineering school for, for ladies and he killed them. And there's still a big lobby from these, from survivors from that who are still fighting handgun, uh, firearms in general. And then we had, two years ago, we had this shooting in Nova Scotia. I don't know if you heard about that. There was a guy who was driving around with a fake, fake police cruiser, was killing people. Now it comes up, for example. That's a different story. But it was a lot of mis police mistakes that happened there. Like gotcha. Valley. So, but... Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting that you mentioned that that first shooting, the guy hated women because that's one of the correlations between these mass shooters is that they're, they're a lot of times in their history, there's domestic violence. And so that kind of directly connects you to misogyny and toxic masculinity and like how, you know, men sort of carry out their anger <laughs> towards women. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's a whole other topic, but um, I just found it interesting that that was one of the two, not surprising. Mass shooting. Yeah, but those were like those were the biggest ones, and I just heard the numbers today in the news. What in the states this year alone? Now, do you define mass shooting in the same way that we do, where it has to be, I think, three or more fatalities? Well, there is they right now. There is some some political aspects happening here, and the the uh, our uh, the government is talking about shootings in general. There is gang shootings. In Toronto, for example, we don't have these. We don't have these. Not that I'm aware of, but it would be in the news where people walk into a crowded place and start popping. And mm -hmm. you know, like this is not happening here. But the reason is also, I think you'll bring this up in a little bit. Um, it's not as easy and to 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 obtain a firearm here in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, not as easy as you think it would be, and. We don't have this culture of you have to defend yourself from everyone and everything. There's a there's a little, and I even see this as a German like who grew up with no gun gun uh, uh, firearms culture at all because the only the first time I touched a firearm was in the army and I thought it was the last time I touched a firearm. And um, but after that, you, nobody cares for hunting in Germany because it's it's the king's privilege. It's a very expensive sport. So yeah. Oh, so, okay. In Germany. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There, there yeah. Is, there is so, a so, yeah. so that's what I think that's really interesting to talk about too, just from the perspective of Canada and Germany, because, you know, even looking, you know, we'll get into a little bit like the politics, but even with the NRA, which is one of our most powerful gun lobbies in the country and all the money they donate to keep gun laws off the books, um, you know, the, their origins didn't even start, you know, from defending, you know, the Second Amendment. Their their origins were from the sport of gunsmanship, 
and marksmanship and, you know, the, the game of, or the sport of it. So same thing, you know, but, you know, I think it was probably the seventies. I, I don't want to be quoted on my actual history, but, you know, the tides turned and they needed an, a new way to bring in members and they needed a new way to expand their association. So they started, you know, gearing all of their messaging towards the second amendment and the right to own a gun as opposed to how it started. And it's kind of gone from there into this massive, you know, political issue. Um, and I guess my point is, and when I, when I kind of bring that up is it is so tied to identity here, whether you're a gun rights advocate or not, like it's all like identity politics. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that coming from Canada and Germany. Yeah. The thing is, um, and that's also like a lot of these, what I'm saying is my personal opinion. And I, I, a lot of people share them, but there's also the other people. My opinion is only because you can doesn't mean you should. So if you have the right to bear arms, that doesn't right. mean that you should bear arms. I always come up with one of my gun courses. I come up with a stupid joke. The Constitution was written on a hot day. Everybody was wearing long sleeve shirts. And this one guy said, I have a right to bear arms. And the one scribe says, okay, let's put it in there. <laughs> and, That's anyway, a terrible um, dad joke. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know. Hey, but my students always laugh about it. Um, but um, like Canada doesn't have a right to bear arms. And my opinion about the Second Amendment is that the United States as a country has a right to regulate regulated militia, mm -hmm. which means a militia is something that's a group of people who get together to defend the country from right. enemies. Right. Near or far. And um, this is what, what it means. It doesn't mean an, an armed population. Switzerland has a militia. Switzerland has this thing where young men go to... Um, go surf for, for a couple of months, then they get their rifle home, their, 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 their uh, military rifle and the pack of ammunition. And in case there is war happening, they have to be ready to fight. Those are like armed citizens, but they don't use it to go robbing or whatever. They are aware that these rifles are there only to defend the country for nothing else. So how do you feel about limiting, like, the number of guns someone's allowed to have or what type of gun someone is allowed to have? I don't want to say type of gun because people always, especially politicians, use the word assault rifle pretty fast. Um, mm -hmm. The AR-15 was actually invented as a sport rifle. It was, it was a rifle. It was a sport rifle because before it became military. Then the military picked it up, realized, oh, that's a pretty neat gun. So they modified it for their use. And then they made the M16 and the M4 out of it, which is still, they're really nice firearms. Never changed for like seven years, since the 50s. Um, but because they are so convenient and easy to use, they give this feeling that these are assault rifles because it doesn't need much to use them. And they're so, really, they're so easy to use, so easy to reload. You don't have to learn much. Um, the amount of guns to own 
there's people who collect firearms. They don't even use them for shooting. Um, these people would be a little bit infringed on their right to own firearms or their, their privilege to own firearms. The style, like the AR-15 would be a perfect hunting rifle, but they are prohibited in Canada now and because it's so nice and compact. It's, it's, it does, you need one gun, one firearm is enough to do a lot of damage to anything. If you have 50 firearms, that doesn't make a difference. It, it needs, it's the person behind it and actually what's up here that is, that is more important than, than, than the amount of firearms, the style of firearms. Um, if the person who's using the firearm is not really there, that's the issue, the mental health issue. So you bring up a couple things I want to talk about. The first one is, what is your feeling that America has so many guns in circulation? 400 million compared to the next country being India, I think, with only like 71 million in circulation. Yeah. One billion. Does that play a role? Because they're just so easily accessed. Does that does that play a role in your mind? Well, this this always gives me the feeling this um, if there is so many firearms in in, in, in in the United States, where are they? This is my question because. I hear from people like, oh, yeah, I was in the States, and this one guy, he had a pistol here and a revolver in his door, and, and then he was still carrying. Um, I'm always thinking this is overkill, like I said, because you can't doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. um, if nobody knows where these firearms are, um, there is no reason to limit firearms because, like, hey, they, it's impossible. That, that train of left, left the station a long time ago to regulate maybe that. And, but you can't regulate something like this. It's, it's impossible because people always find a way to get what they want. Well, illegally. That doesn't even address the ghost guns that are now popping up. Which and, is and really we scary. Have, <laughs> we have the same issue here. Now, um, they wanted, the, the, the liberal government wants to um, freeze the sale, import, and trade of handguns within Canada, which would only affect legal gun owners. That does nothing to all those smuggled in. 90% of the firearms in Canada that are used in crime are smuggled in from the States. So, um, mm -hmm. and they are illegally distributed on the streets of Toronto or Montreal or, or I don't know, like these urban centers. Do you the think that... that yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you think that um, increasing penalties for having a gun that's not licensed to you would help that at all? Or Yes, absolutely. Because if I'm scared to do something stupid with something I'm not supposed to have, well, this is, it's, it's, the punishment is always a little bit of like a mind game. Like if you do this, like as a kid, we, we, we tell our kids, do this, do this, otherwise you don't get dessert or whatever. And if you know that you don't get dessert, you don't do stupid things. Mm -hmm. And um, and this is another thing here in Canada. They want to they want to lower actually the penalty for illegal gun use, which is, in my opinion, totally stupid, because they say we don't want too many indigenous and black people in jail. Which, in my 
in my mind says, so you're assuming all these gun crimes are done by this people, this, this, this kind of people. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> like for, my heart rate for, <laughs> for the right reasons, kind of. Yeah, it's, but penalties, I mean, you can penalize as much as you want. It's, everybody has, has to be in the same boat of what they're doing with what they have in their hand, like a firearm. Like, I don't want to go too far ahead because in Canada, you have to have a license to buy a firearm. You have to go through a long process of obtaining that firearm. You can't just go into a store and say, hello, one rifle, please. Here's money. Goodbye. That's what is the process? Here. Can you explain that? Okay, the process is, let's say, um, you want a firearm. You have to take a course through me. The minimum age is 12. Children from the age 12 have to take this course. I explain, I teach everything <clears throat> about safe handling of firearms, how to choose ammunition, what to do when something goes, uh, when there's a malfunction. Um, it's safe handling of firearms, then safe storing of firearms, how you store firearms safely. That is very highly regulated here in Canada. You can't just put them under your bed and leave them there. Um, transporting firearms when you're done with your hunting or shooting activity. How do you transport a firearm back to your house? So you take that course. It's eight hours for a rifle. If you want to go hunting for a rifle, if you want to buy a handgun, you have to take another course with, you have to listen to my, to my stuff uh, again for eight hours where I teach again, safe handling, safe storage, which is a bit more complicated for handguns because it, it, they want to be more safe. Um, okay, then you pass the course. You get a so-called course report that has to be sent to the RCMP, our federal police here, the police force, not like the FBI. Like they're like the real police. They have cops and everything, like, like, uh, uh, like patrol officers and everything. Um, and they look after that. It's a federal thing. This course is the same all over Canada. You send in a six page of uh, six pages of paperwork where you have to say if you're married you have to name the, your, your your the name of your spouse. You have to um, name two uh, uh, references like two people who can say yes this person is okay to have a firearm. You have to check off if you committed a crime at any time in your life, a, a like a firearms related crime or like a, a violence thing. Then you mail this in with a photo and uh, and some money. Then they take this, they get this letter, they put it on a pile for three months. It sits there. Nobody touches it. After three months, they look at, they open the letter, they look at it. Then they start calling the spouse, the references, the two. They ask, is this person legit to have a firearm? Then they do a very deep criminal record check. I learned from the chief, like from our um, staff sergeant here, our police chief, that there's different levels of, of, uh, of uh, criminal background checks. But the one for the firearms is really, really thorough and deep. That takes another two months. If you pass all this, they send you a two months later, you get a card in the mail that gives you the right. Then you have the privilege to buy, own, and use firearms and ammunition. And it expires every five years. You have to reapply for it every five years um, just to make sure that you're still alive. And then you're registered. And... It's funny because I didn't know this, like the RCMP, our police here, when they pull you over, 
they actually see on their computer that if you have a firearms license or not. Not that it matters when you get caught speeding, but it's just the information because they have it. They, they, they can't see it. And that's what the what one police officer told me. Well, that, and then, and I'm always telling my students, if you don't screw up, you don't lose the privilege. It really needs a lot to really lose that. And you really, really, really have to screw up things in your life. But right. another thing, the police computer goes over every gun owner every day, scans it if any one of you, if, if you had contact with the police. And this will, you're like under scrutiny daily. And this is what's missing in the States. Sorry to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, to me, that's common sense because you're dealing with a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have to be, res I mean, that's kind of what, you know, I talk a lot about, yes, you know, we talk a lot about rights in this country. We don't talk near enough about the responsibilities that you incur as a citizen being a part of this country and inhabiting those rights. It always comes with responsibilities. And so you have to prove your worthiness, you know, you're not just born and then all of a sudden you're guaranteed. I mean, you have the right to a gun, like just like, you know, a 16 year old finally earns the right to a to a to a license to drive a car. A car can be a weapon, too. You know, if you don't know how to operate it properly. So you have to go through a whole process, right? Exactly. And then you have to make sure that you don't screw up. If you make a boo-boo, you have to pay. You get penalized in one way or another. Right. So, so and, and, and um, what was I going to say? Um, like with this, I'll give you an example. I'm like, I'm an instructor. I'm under special scrutiny there. But she, we have um, every province has a so-called chief firearms officer is overlooking all the firearms program, like he's overlooking, it's mostly a senior police officer. And me as an instructor, I pop up on his screen if something happens. I got pulled over one time because um, they mixed me, they, the, the, the cops thought I was somebody else. And he pulled me over and I said, what the, I wasn't speaking at night. And he, he apologized, oh no, sorry. <clears throat> I thought you were somebody else. And he let me go. But he, of course, driver's license insurance, Next morning, I get an email. What happened there last night? So the chief firearms officer of Manitoba already saw it on his computer that I got stopped for nothing, but he, the, the report wasn't in or something. I just popped up in the police computer. Right. So I just explained it to him, and that's about it. I mean, not, not a bit, even for speeding. I mean, yeah. But this is how, how, how much we are under supervision from the government, from the police if you want to call it that that uh yeah i'm pretty sure that a lot of our citizens would have issue with that too <laughs> surveillance thing's a big one same <laughs> here people complain about that here too like nobody needs to know what rifle i have blah, 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 blah. rifles are actually not registered here in canada you can buy them okay. now they came up with a law that uh the the gun stores actually have to keep a record like a record list of the, 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 the um, serial number and everything and who bought it, which is for some people a gun registry. They had one here until 25 years ago and it failed miserably. It was a big money pit. It didn't work. Handguns are registered. Handguns have, you have, when you have a handgun, you can only take it to a gun range and back. You can't carry in Canada. So there's oh, no carry laws? What's that? There's no carry, carry. No. 
laws? No. I mean, there's one person in all of Canada that has this thing, and that's somebody who's not disclosed. You can't carry firearms unless it's for like if you work for a security uh, company or something. Um, then you can carry, but you can't just take it with you because you feel unsafe. Wow. And, I didn't um, know and, and, and like if you want to trend, you can't just go wherever you want. You can only go to a gun range and back. If you want to take a handgun somewhere else in a gun range, you have to call the RCMP and ask for, for a so-called authorization to transport. And then they give okay. you a, a little a, like hall pass, if you want to call it that, that you can go in case you get pulled over, something happens, and they find the gun in the car. Oh, it was all legit. So, yeah. That hmm. gives me actually a good peace of mind because not everybody's armed here. To be honest. Right. So that kind of leads me into the mental health aspect because you meant that was the other thing you mentioned. Um, can you speak to what Canada does as it relates to mental health and gun ownership? Uh, of course, they do a mental health questionnaire with you. If you are suicidal, uh, if you have anger issues and all these things, of course, you can lie about everything. Um, Right. In my course, for example, I have one slide where I bring this up, mental health. And I always say, this is the slide where it gets really quiet in the classroom. Because we're now in an age where we can, uh, uh, a time and day and age where we can talk about mental health. You don't have to suck it up anymore. Nobody has to suck it up anything. You can talk about what's going on right. in your life. Um, and I bring this up. It's that if you or somebody you know has something going on in their life, offer them the help, take the firearm away from them, offer them, put them in my gun cabinet. I offer the people that you can call me, you can get my business card, you can call me anytime, I take your firearm, I give you a receipt for it. Because if you really want to do something to yourself, think about how the, like, I'm always over dramatic, I said like, this won't be an open casket funeral. And uh, so I'm getting a little bit out of hand here, but, um, there is mental health, health is supervised here. Like you have to say that you are every five, at least every five years, you have to mention that you are still capable of, uh, not, I don't want to say capable, but that you are not affected by mental health issues and still have the right to, uh, to have firearms. <clears throat> Nobody will it's scold you cool. if you hand in your firearm and say, if you, if you would do something that I said, like, you know what, I give my gun to my friend because I think I might do something silly. So, sorry, what were you saying? Um, is suicide as big of an issue in Canada as it, as it is in the U.S.? I imagine it must be given, but I, I, I guess I don't know. Numbers. I just know <clears throat> that... Um, the most firearms injuries are actually a result of suicide, not mm -hmm. of one one on one. <clears throat> so that's I, I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know any numbers, and um, but uh, as far as like what I hear from 
in my, in my Manitoba here in my province, it's not a plague or whatever you want to call it. It's not a like, of course, there's suicide, but it's it's not very common. Not that I can, I I, I have no numbers. It's not an epidemic. Pardon me. Um, I said it's not an epidemic like it is here. Yeah, not that I no, not really an epidemic. No, no, no. It's been like <clears throat> with with COVID here with that that stuff. This is a very rural uh, area where I live. Um, COVID hit. But probably not as hard as in the in the in the um, in the urban areas. The farmers still had to do their work. Um, we got our work done here. Like it's when COVID hit hit uh, a lot of people's mental health, mine included. Like I didn't even know how stressful it could be. Like just to I, I got paranoid when somebody got too close to me. So. That probably it, it, doesn't help that you're used to being spread out from people, being more rural, and then yeah. But th this yeah. is something that they can keep. Actually, I got so used to like stay away from me. It's all nice. Like stand two feet away. It's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think about the argument that Americans make about? Because that's a lot of times what happens when we try to bring up solutions to the mass gun shooting problem. Um, is, you know, they want to kind of distract over here rather than implement stricter gun laws. They want to talk about mental health and they want to throw the problem at, you know, the, it's always the scapegoat. It's, it's a mental health issue. I don't even want to talk about how the same party that is anti-gun laws is also the same party that never implements anything that helps people out with mental health. That's a side note, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I think mental health is an issue globally, not just in America. So, I, what is your, what are your thoughts on that? It's like I, I know, like for example, if we come up with COVID again, I know how it hit Germany too, how people were uh, uh, affected by COVID there, and mm -hmm. Germans like to come up with laws for everything. So there were so many laws implemented during COVID that people really thought, like, this is like back in the 30s here. We can't do anything without getting followed by the police. People got citations because they just took the garbage out and stuff like this. And people were scared. And it's, it's and, and, and mental health is now, like I said before, it's, it's even before COVID and before it's now a, a, a topic that we can talk about. Um, we see this they're completely off guard here, but uh, uh, war veterans, PTSD. Like you probably knew some, like I know some, I knew some old guys who fought, Germans who fought in World War II and were never allowed to talk about their experience. Mm -hmm. You probably met some American heroes that were praised, but they probably saw things that a 20-year-old was not supposed to see. And now when you have modern war uh, veterans, they come back and they get mental health right away. They, this, these issues are now addressed. They don't have to suck it up anymore. And, 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 and I hope that every, that the governments actually learn that we, if we address them early enough, like with every disease, if you want to call it a disease or illness, it's an illness. Eradicate it as soon as you can. 
I personally yeah. had, had like talking about mental illness. <clears throat> I had so many skeletons in my closet, and it didn't eat much. I didn't eat much to finally address them, and all of a sudden get rid of them. Pretty much, it was it was rocket science. Mm-hmm. Like we just it just needed to talk about one topic, and all of a sudden, like oh my goodness, I should have done this twenty five years ago. Easy as pie. And there's people out there who have way worse than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mental health is a serious issue in this country, and. I mean, there's a whole gamut of issues around mental health. One being, are we supporting our veterans? And I don't think we're doing enough personally, but that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is just making sure that every single citizen has access to mental health if they need it. And that's a massive problem here. And then another issue is I do think that suicides by gun are definitely a mental health issue and need to be addressed. Um, but what about mass shootings? What about, because again, you don't have mass shootings in Germany. You don't have mass shootings in Canada. You still have mental health issues. It's, it's, it's interesting that you bring this up like, because every time something like this happens, they say, oh, the, the, the shooter was uh, mentally, uh, he was, it was mental health. It was mental health. It was, you can't blame everything. But this is like, seriously, if, if this happens all the time, it's always mental health. Mm-hmm. Then you know where the problem lies, and and to come with the word health, and we have free healthcare here in Canada. That means you get at least basic healthcare. I can go to every hospital and say, "Can I talk to someone for free?" I might have to wait sometimes, but there is always someone. Like there is free resources for me. <clears throat> Do you feel like? there is adequate access and enough ex- mental health therapists and experts out there to serve your entire community? Absolutely not. Like, but I don't think anywhere on the planet there's enough people to deal with mental health because mm-hmm. it is so drastically underrepresented and maybe even underfunded. And, yes, uh, for sure. Yeah, it is, it is, it's sad. I mean, you break your leg, you want to be, you want to get a cast on it as soon as possible because you don't want to have a crooked leg by the end, by the end, at the end of the day. And even that is sometimes uh, a challenge. And, 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 and mental health is way worse than a broken leg. So, yeah. It's... Yeah. I don't think people understand um, I think I think it's getting better, like you said. I, I think there's so many people that don't understand the work that's being done, you know, that is has progressed, the things we can do to treat mental illness and mental health. And there are so many things that can be done now. But like like you said, you know, you have free health care. We for in, in the States, it's extremely expensive. And the majority of people have to pay out of pocket if they want mental health therapy. And the majority of people can't afford to do that. You know, I'm in a privileged situation. I've seen a therapist three different times in my life. And, you know, when I was younger, somehow I just made it work, you know, financially. Now I'm in a position where I can afford to pay for it. And so I choose to, because for me, it's, it's just, there's nothing bad about seeing a therapist. Like I can only see good things. Even if you're like doing well in your life, it's still like, beneficial to see a therapist you know it doesn't hurt i mean you go to the dentist to see if your teeth are still all good (laughs) 
And although they don't hurt, I, every time, oh, we have a buckle here. Oh, you know, like there's always some things. Everybody has something. And uh, and another with mental health, that it's affordable. My uh, I work for the Manitoba, my province, Manitoba's government, <clears throat> and they actually offer free free mental health. And um, when I was going through my divorce, for example, I got free counseling. And then I had the, the sad thing to do, like I had to fly to Germany to say goodbye to my oldest sister because she was dying. And I saw the therapist. It was two days. It was a couple of hours. But that helped me so much just to be prepared for this life-changing situation. And just these few little tips, do this, do this, do this. And that just, just set something free up here. Like, you know what? I'm prepared. Yeah, I think you are so right. Like you make a really good point. You know, like you said, twice a year you go to the dentist for a checkup. Like, why aren't we doing that? Uh, that makes complete sense to me. You know, even if you just need, you know, you're going through a job loss or just some event happens in your life that's traumatic in some on any scale, you know, just to have somebody to go to to speak about what's going on to get an outside perspective in terms of how to deal with it. You know, to me, there's just so many common sense ways we could help each other out in society. And I don't know, the United States just, you know, as soon as you try to fund anything and they yell socialism at you and they tell you you're trying to, you know, I don't know what the, even the word is that you're trying to somehow like enable people <laughs> or well, not. I don't know. What, what, I what mean, really I, threw me off was talking about like socialism, Obamacare, terrible name for this affordable health care. I'm sorry to say it. It sounds terrible, but this is the same thing that we have in Germany. Everybody pays a percentage of their income. And at the end, everybody gets the same treatment. If you earn $100, you pay one. Or 100 euros a month, you pay one euro. If you earn 500,000, you pay 5,000. You need a wheelchair, both of you get one. Uh, this was invented in the 1800s, in the late 1800s in Germany, this social system. Same with the retirement fund, like the, the, the pension fund. If everybody, if everybody puts a little bit in, doesn't have to be much. At the end, we can all live off of this. But then when it says like, well, Obama cares to go, I don't want to pay for drug addicts, blah, blah. Well, essentially what it is, is it's just a, a larger insurance plan. You yes. know, right now in our country, you have companies sponsoring insurance where all you're doing is increasing the pool, which actually makes it more sustainable because you have a larger pool of people to work with to help people out. So it's just a larger insurance plan that's sponsored by the country instead of your company. So it's not tied to a job. So you yes. don't have to worry about insurance when you leave said job. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me that people aren't on board with it. But the but, one thing I wanted to mention that you said about Obama, Obamacare is it actually isn't called Obamacare. It's called the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, yeah, I know. The right... <laughs> coined it Obamacare to demonize it so that the public would, you know, would turn against it and not vote for it, essentially. That's what I mean. Terrible name. But this is how even we got here in Canada. Like with the free health care that we have here, I mean, you get what you pay for. You get basic coverage. If you want extra, I have an extra insurance, for example, for my glasses and for extra dental work. Um, but uh, 
I can. I have a coworker who just had uh, was complaining about the cost of the the birth of his kid. His car got towed because he was parking in no parking zone. That was the most. He was complaining about that. Everything else was free. The baby was born with no cost to anyone. Right. And especially something like this birth. Birth should be free. I mean, <laughs> sorry. It's something you can't pick and choose. Like, I mean, if I fall over when I'm mountain biking and I break my face, well, it's my own stupid accident. But getting born or being born is, yeah. And and yeah. And we have to. This is this is this is just. A, we have to find us. Especially the states have to find a system that we all look out for each other. We all have like this is. It's, but this is what you say: socialism. Ah, everybody pitches in, and everybody takes what they need. Communism. Ah, demon communism. People don't even know what communism means when they say that. No, they don't know what socialism means. They exactly. just know it's a bad word. <laughs> and, and you know what? Don't get me wrong. Communism is a fantastic political thing. There's only one factor you shouldn't take into this consider to, to put into the thing: the human. That, that seems to be the catalyst for potential change here, finally. Well, um, if, we'll I just read the numbers today, how many shootings there are since 20, the beginning of 2021. That is like, seriously, how many car accidents were there? What was so terrible, what really hits the nerve of the planet, I think, was that this individual, I don't want to even call him a person, this individual killed schoolchildren. And he was going for school children, like the at that age, they were like they have these 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 witness accounts from girls that put blood in their face to say that they're that they're dead. At that age, I was playing with Legos. I don't know what you were playing with. I don't know Barbies or something. But you know, like I had other problems than concealing myself between my dead schoolmates. And this is what made it so terrible that he really, on purpose, killed. And then. It's school children. And then another thing that came up was a police reaction. That they mm -hmm. showed up with military gear, with helmets on, and did nothing. And according to the press, there was obviously they just went through training through that. There were a lot of mistakes that the police made. And um, yeah, sorry to say it, but where were all these heroes with their carry concealed carry permit? Why didn't they storm in there and clean out that place? Right. Well, and parents were actually trying to get in. They were arresting parents and I've detaining seen them. Terrible. Um, because they were trying to get in, and they said that they were interfering with a police situation or whatever you call it. Um, and I mean, it's it's crazy to think about. There were clearly a lot of breakdowns in Uvalde that caused that tra tragedy. Um, but. You know, then mean in the meantime, I think a couple days later, there was another gunman out in maybe Maryland. And then some woman actually did pull out a gun and shoot him before he hurt anybody. So that's the myth of the 
good guy with a gun stopping a bad guy with a gun that actually played out yeah. in real time. Um, but how often does that happen? It doesn't stop most shootings. Like that was a fluke. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that argument because the NRA likes to spout that as one of their talking points to yeah, increase gun ownership. And I, have, I hear this lots when people say, oh, I would have stopped this. Of course you would have stopped this. Like the same way you would have played in that football game because you see everything from a distance. Um, I, I hear this lots of people want to be the hero, run into situations. But first of all, Gunshots. If you if you're in, ever in a situation where somebody starts shooting in, a, in an enclosed space, gunshots are extremely loud. They're not coming through a little TV speaker. It's extremely loud. You get a sonic boom. There's like a pressure wave of air that hits you. Then, of course, you don't know what's going on. You're disoriented. This is something that you're not that you are not accustomed to. All of a sudden, people start crying and running. Uh, you still don't know what's going on. There is somebody who is very determined to pick and choose people that he wants, he or she, I gotta say he or she, um, wants to, to end lives of other people. Then let's say you are a concealed carry uh, person. Then you pull out your gun. Who is the shooter? Where is he? You, right. you know, people are running, screaming. Then let's say you find the person. You see, oh, there he is. How good are you as a shooter? Shooting is not as easy as it looks on TV. Everybody's a John Wayne. I've seen people who came to our gun range with the most expensive firearms because they thought that makes them a good shooter. They couldn't hit the side of a barn factory. <laughs> they just think like, I thought you like, I thought this gun is so good. You put a laser pointer on it. The laser pointer just shows you that you're probably on the verge of, of Parkinson because you're shaking so much. But um, everybody thinks they're the hero after it. And, and, and I, would say, I, everyone, I would say if you ever hear gunshots, run, 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 run. Run as fast as you can away from it. It's none of your business to stop that shooter. There's people who get paid money, SWAT teams, to do that on a daily basis. And they have extra life insurance for that. Because these SWAT units, they, start, they, they have shooting practice before they have their first cup of coffee. And they know what they're doing. They can slow down their heart rate if they want to. So the, what I'm saying is like uh, a, a, to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun if he or she knows how to overlook a situation and to shoot properly. Then do it. If not, get out. Yeah, but that's not a person that's trained to handle, handle high-stress situations either. And you don't and know how you're going to react in that situation. Yeah, but this is why I don't like this when they say we should arm teachers. Right. Why? It's not their job. So what? Mental health. What if you have a little, have a teacher who's losing their marbles? And all of a sudden you have an armed individual who's completely, you know, we were both in high school. We always tried to poke the bear. Of course you did. What if you have one who's like on the edge of the limit, pulls out and shoots you right in the face because he doesn't like your attitude? And, um, and, and, and then what? So you have a teacher who gets paid not very much money. They are there to teach your kids, to look after your kids, not to, to, not to annoy the parents. And all of a sudden they have to be SWAT units and have to get shooting training. How often do they train? Because shooting is not easy. You have to practice it. This is, this right. is, this is nonsense. 
I agree. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I get me going because everybody, I hear this so many times when people say, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that. No, you wouldn't. Because especially like those, especially the bad shooters with the big guns, they always think they are the big heroes. Ah, oh, let's be going. <laughs> Well, um, I, I had a couple more just personal questions, uh, personal, you know, kind of your personal thoughts on guns. Um, and I, I know we kind of started with this, but I just want to get your personal thoughts on how you think about the idea of rights in your country versus the idea of responsibilities as a citizen. Come And, you know, especially with your experience in Germany and Canada versus in America and what that, you know, dichotomy looks like to you. Uh, because we're so rights oriented in America. Yes, like I said, I would say it's a privilege to be able to handle a firearm or to own one because you have to, like you said, with driving a vehicle, you have to be, you have to have, have the, the, the capabilities to be able to drive a vehicle. If you can't, if you're too dumb to follow basic laws, you don't get your license. If you if you break the law constantly, you use your license, lose your license. So for me, there is no right to a firearm. You have a right to defend yourself. I would say that, but to a certain extent, within your means. I wouldn't shoot at anyone who tries to steal my lawnmower. You know, like it, it's it's not worth it. Why would I kill someone over a lawnmower? This is this this is the castle doctrine or whatever you call it there in the states, and but right. but here it's it's more of a privilege. Not there's a different culture here. Rifles and, and rifles are more like for hunting here in the first place. Canada was was never interested in self defending. It was mostly like yeah, we were the dominion of the British Empire. We still have the Queen Elizabeth on our twenty dollar bill, <clears throat> and. Um, we were most concerned we needed right we needed guns to get something to eat or not being eaten by something bigger. And 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 this is why this is still a privilege here. Because if you want to eat something, if you want to shoot something to eat it, gotta know how to do this. So it's not a right. Learn it and then you can do this. Same with firearms. Get a license. Get a firearms license. Maybe you learn something you didn't know. When I did my research on becoming an instructor. There were so many YouTube videos from the States where it says, so you bought your first gun. Now let me tell you how to use it. And so like, what? It should be the other way around. Learn how to use it, then buy it. Oh. <laughs> and there's so many little things about firearms in general. Like when I see, uh, uh, when I watch uh, uh, movies, how it's the thing that I can't unsee anymore. Like I see actors having the finger on the trigger while they're walking around with a gun. That's a big no-no. You keep the trigger out of the finger, the finger out of the trigger guard. And then, like, they have a million-dollar actor and nobody told him to keep the finger off the trigger? Come on. So, right. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, like, the United States, in my opinion, should probably come up with a federal licensing and training thing. It doesn't have to be super rigorous, but just make sure that you have an eye on who has a license and who doesn't, and who is who has the right to get a license and the privilege to have and use a firearm. 
and put it right on their driver's license, just like we do, you know, because we have IDs and then you have driver's like operator's licenses and then you have gun licenses, yes. right? It makes well, sense. For me, it's two separate. I have two separate cards, like it's the driver's license and the, and the, and the, and the gun license, but um, the card. But if you say like that would be something in the States, like you can put on there, took the safety course. Can even be online. It's a, but as, as long as you really go through this process, make read, just, just like understand what basic firearm safety is. And then you don't think it's that easy anymore because everybody thinks they're they're John Wayne. Right. Ah, oh, that oh we get we, we stray left and right here with our talk, actually. So no, that's, but, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. But uh, it is it is such a tricky thing. And another thing is with living in the country and compared to the city, uh, Winnipeg is our urban center. I had to go there for a meeting and I was talking to a co-worker about all rifles and handguns that we have. All of a sudden, a lady that I was dealing with for six years, you guys have guns? Uh, yeah, why? Are you dangerous? Uh, what makes us dangerous now that you hear that we have guns? We were, we we're still the same guys. We follow certain rules. She didn't understand that. She never left the city. We only have one big city, so we call Winnipeg the city. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And, 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 and they have a highway around at the perimeter, and every, they don't know what happens outside of the perimeter. So, um, it, it's, it's, it's really it's such a tricky thing, and you have to please so many people. But in my opinion, the United States has to implement something. If you can buy a rifle without any proof that you know how to use it at the age of 18, before you can buy your first alcohol, I mean, that's, that's, that's dumb. Sorry. That is dumb. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. With that, um, I like to, I'm going to, I'm trying this. I'm trying this yes. thing at the end of, of our uh, interview, my interviews with people. Um, just a fun Q and A, um, yes. just to kind of know a little bit more about you and, and share something with the rest of the, our audience. Um, so, what are you most proud of up to this point in your life? Like, what's something that you're really proud of? When I left Germany, two thousand and eight, I was so scared. I didn't know what happened. I went into a completely new culture. Fourteen years later, I introduced myself into this culture and this community where I'm living here in Dauphin, Manitoba. I, I'm so happy that I did this. I'm so proud of myself that I, people recognize me now. Like it's, it's, I, I go through to town and people know me. I don't know them, but it's so nice. And I'm so proud that I, like my integration into this culture of into the Canadian culture of coming from a completely different culture. There's still things that you can't get out of me. Punctuality is one thing. <laughs> oh, Canadians are not punctual. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm very proud of that, that I'm, that I made myself being such a good part of this community that I live in. So Canadians aren't known to be punctual? Well, some of them are, but it's like sometimes, yeah. In Germany, if you're two minutes too late, you're like, then don't even come. Don't even bother coming. And for me, it's still this feeling, if I'm late, if you're waiting for me, I'm wasting your time. So don't do that to me. And yeah, but most of the you people, and I would get along. You and I would get along because I'm very punctual as well. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, 
I, I, I'm so happy that Google Maps has this function, when do I have to leave to be at a certain point at a certain time? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your biggest regret? My regret is like, we always have regrets in the past. I listened to some wrong, like not wrong advice, but I shouldn't have listened to some advice about my choices that I made in life. Now it's like, for example, career choices. I, I would be a completely different person right now if I would have done what I was planning on doing, but I had people to talk me out of it. I don't know if my life would have been better or worse, but sometimes I think, ah, why did I do this? Like getting influence. Right. Now I would just tell the same person, yeah, I can't say that. It's probably, yeah, I keep this clean. <laughs> now you so, just follow your inner intuition more as a result. Exactly. But I think that there's something to do with age too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, what is your favorite quote? Do you have a favorite quote? Well, I have one thing that my uncle told me shortly before he passed away of, of, of lung cancer. You can't really transcribe it into into English. It's more. It sounds more philosophical in German. But like the morning begins in the middle of the night. If you like, it's it's really hard to say. That means like I was at a point in my life where university didn't go so well. Everything was dumb at the moment, and I remember it was New Year's Eve, and I called him. He was alone, and and I was half in the back, and I just called him, wished him a happy New Year, and then he told me this. Uh, he said, "How's the university?" I said, "Oh, it stinks." Uh, he said, oh, you know what, Dad, don't worry about it. The morning begins uh, in the middle of the night. You'll get through this. I was half drunk, and this really stuck with me. Like, seriously, I still I still remember that. That really, that I, I carry that with me. Nothing What's is the German way to say it? In dunkler Nacht beginnt ein neuer Morgen. In the dark night, the new morning begins. I'll have to think on that one. That is philosophical. <laughs> yeah, especially for my uncle who was such a brunt guy sometimes. So blunt. <laughs> I'm definitely going to think on that. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite song? I don't really have a favorite song. I another thing that you couldn't have told me, like if you tell 15 years ago, if you would tell me, hey, there's a point in your life where you actually enjoy country music. Yeah, no. Like I really like country music. We have a country festival here in. Dolphin, Manitoba, July 1st, if you want to come, you're more than welcome. We have big stars coming. We had Reba McIntyre here. But um, I like listening to country music. I don't have specific music. I like oldies. I like, I don't have a special song, put it this way. Okay. It's a hard question. I don't really either. I, I always say uh, uh, the Louis Armstrong song, um, What a Wonderful World, just because I feel like it encapsulates how I feel about life. So... It is a beautiful song. I gotta say, it's a really, it's a really nice song that covers everything. Like, yep, yeah, yeah. what a wonderful <laughs> book. Yeah. And you have a favorite book? I don't read much, but I like to read um, biographies. I, I gotta admit, I'm listening to audiobooks mostly. But I, I like doing work. That's really nice <laughs> when I'm working on my analysis. Headphones on and then listening to uh, autobiographies or historical things, history stuff. So yeah. that's what I really like to read. And I learned a lot about like German history. And what I really like is, 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 um, is like how one thing in the, in the past changed the whole world when you look at it now. 
So this is this is yeah. stuff that I like to read. Yeah, that's really cool. Cool <laughs> way to look at it. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'm very excited that you messaged me and wanted to because I think it's important to get hear more voices, especially from outside our country. So we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. You're more than welcome. You can find all of my single white female episodes on any app where you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Thank you for listening.